Father, we just come together today, and we just want to just come to your throne room, Father, and we just ask for healing. Father, it's, whether it's a spiritual or physical healing, Father, we just come together, and we just declare healing over each and one, every one of these, Father. Father, for Tammy, Father, even though she's been hurting and struggling, Father, she's still here and willing to serve you with just a happiness in her heart, Father. We just pray that there will be just a supernatural healing over her, over these tendons, and, and that and she will be no more pain, and she'll just be comfort all around her, and she can just get back to being her happy self and, and serving you without any pain. Father, for Oral, we just pray that he's just uh, has healing in his shoulder, Father. He's been struggling for a long time now, and it just seems like the doctors just keep delaying it and postponing it. And Father, that we know that it's your timing, and we thank you ahead of time for what you're going to do for him. And Father, for Mark, with his kidneys problems, Father, and we know that he had another uh, setback last week when the lady that he got tested it wasn't a match, Father, but we want to thank you ahead of time for the person that you're going to bring that is a perfect match. And we want to thank you ahead of time for the healing that you're going to give him and the kidney that you're going to give him, that he'll just get back to being normal and he can just, uh, his willingness, Father, just to step up and to, and to decide to go on this mission trip, even with the problems he has, Father, just shows that how much he loves you and how much he wants to glorify you. So, Father, I just, again, just want to pray for healing for each and every one of them. And, Father, anybody else that's on our prayer list, Father, we just stand in the gap for them. And we just want to come to you, Father, and thank you in advance for the healing that you're going to give them and just be with them and their families. Father, I love you, and I praise you, and I give you the glory. We ask you these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Oh, sorry. Well, I'll wait for everybody to get set back down so I can tell you, will you please stand? <laughs> Jim got me. He didn't sit down yet. I should have waited just a little bit longer. Uh, so it's going to be Romans verses, or chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Will you pray with me? My Heavenly Father, I just come to you today, and I just want to ask you to give me just a spirit of calmness and, and peace right now, Father. I know the enemy is trying to attack me and trying to get me stuttered, and Father, I just want to come to you and just, uh, I just ask that you remove me from the situation. You just let your spirit flow through me, Father, and just let this be a message that you're giving and whoever you have for it to hear, whether it's me or whether it's somebody else, Father, I just pray that we'll open our hearts and our minds to just to receive your message and just uh, go out and glorify you. Father, we love you and praise you. That's your thing in Jesus' name. Amen. So, please be seated. So, last week we talked about how much God loves you. And he made it really obvious when he put the message, the songs, and even the call to worship all together. And that he wants us to know that he loves each and every one of us personally. Not as a group, but personally. And there was nothing, absolutely nothing that you can do to stop him from loving you. Even in the filth and the dirtiness of our flesh, he still loves us. He calls us his children, and he wants to clean us up and spend eternity with us. And the love he has for us is unconditional. Man, every time I think about that, that definitely gets my pencil sharp. So, I don't know. If, you don't, if that don't light your fire, your wood's got to be wet. But man, knowing that he loves us in such a way should cause us to want to live in a way that glorifies him. 
So the letter that Paul wrote to the Romans, he was, uh, he was excited to meet him. He hadn't got to go yet. So he, he wrote a letter introducing himself to him and kind of just uh, giving him an outline of the gospel that he was going to preach. So the letter can be split up in two different sections. The first is what to believe, and the second is how to behave. So in chapters 1 through 11, Paul gives us a theological view of the Christian lifestyle. He says that we are all sinners, but we receive forgiveness of sin through the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. We receive freedom from sin's stronghold on us, freedom for the, from the law, and the freedom to become like Christ and discover God's limitless love. So in the second part of Romans, starting in chapter 12, we move from the theological to the practical. Paul gives us guidelines for living as a redeemed people in a fallen world. Putting these things into practice will affect how we choose to behave each day. It's not enough just to know the gospel. We must let it transform our lives and let God impact every part of our lives. It starts off saying, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Now, we need to remember that these... That Paul, when Paul wrote this letter, he, they weren't broken into chapters and verses. He wrote it with the intentions of it all being read at one time. So what he's basically saying is because of the things that I've already wrote in this letter and because of the things that God has given you, then I plead to you to give your bodies as a living sacrifice to God, which is the logical way to serve him. See, we hear sacrifice and we kind of start thinking of the dark, bad things of it. But Paul used sacrifice because it was familiar with everybody in biblical times. You know, the Jews were very familiar with taking a lamb to the temple and sacrificing it. And the Gentiles often sacrificed animals to their gods at pagan temples. But see, these types of sacrifices, the animal was always killed. And Paul says that we should present our bodies as a living sacrifice. And we have to understand here that the body refers to our entire being. That's our spirit, our soul, our flesh, and our mind, all living together in our bodies. And when we give our body to God, we are giving him all of us, not just our works, not just our money, not just some of our time, but everything, all of us. This type of commitment is an act of the will. It doesn't happen automatically overnight. It's a decision that you must truly think about and then, and then make the choice. And it can't be made for you. And as much as, as parents we want to, we can't make this choice for our children. We can raise them in a Christian home, we can pray for them, we can pray over them, but ultimately they have to make the choice themselves. And this is often a hard, hard decision to make, especially for teenagers and new Christians. What if I give my body as a living sacrifice to God and he wants me to be a missionary, living in the jungle, eating grub worms with no indoor plumbing? You going camping for the weekend is one thing, but most people don't want to live this way all the time. But you see, our minds automatically goes towards the negative when we talk about truly submitting to God. We begin to think about all the things that we may have to give up. We think about the possibilities of losing our comfort, giving up our own personal desires and wants in life. You see, we want to submit to God as our Savior, but not as our Lord. We make excuses why we can't fully commit. But we have to remember that God is good and that he loves us and that he knows what is best for us, and that he would never ask us to do anything unless he knows it's best for us. So we should be confident enough to put our faith in him 
by giving him our whole bodies, knowing that he would never send us somewhere that wasn't good for us. This commitment is both initial and ongoing. Most of us think that this is a once and, once and for all decision. We believe that I gave my life to Christ at seven years old and I'm good, I don't have to worry about nothing else. But many of us know that a living sacrifice has a tendency of crawling off the altar at times. So we have to continue to renew this commitment. And when we first make this commitment, we present all of ourselves that we are aware of to all the God that we know. But as we grow in our Christian walk, we become aware of areas in our life where we haven't submitted to God yet. So we have to go back and put those things on the altar as well. And the more we learn and understand of the Lordship of Christ, the more we have to yield to him over and over. This commitment is a holy and acceptable sacrifice. The Old Testament says that all sacrifices shall be without blemish. That if it is lame, blind, or has any defect, that it should not be brought before the Lord. Now this doesn't mean that you can only be a living sacrifice for God if you're perfect. It just means that we need to confess our sins and let God clean us up and walk in obedience with him. Just as the burnt offerings were a pleasing aroma to God, we should live our lives in a way to please him. We should love the things that he loves and hate the things that he hates. See, this commitment is a reasonable service of worship. When we think of all the things that God has done for us, it's only reasonable or logical that we should give ourselves completely to him. He removed the guilt and punishment of our sins from us. He adopted us as, as his children to be heirs to his kingdom. He has given us the Holy Spirit to help us through all the afflictions of the world. He has given us eternal life in his presence. So why wouldn't we be willing to give him everything? Verse 2 says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So we can break this verse down into three separate parts. First, do not be conformed to this world. Here the word world literally means age, referring to the present evil age that will pass away in contrast to the eternal age that is still to come. Galatians 1, 4, and 5 says that Jesus Christ gave himself for our sins that, we might, that he might deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be the glory forever. See, Jesus didn't die to leave us conformed to this evil age but to rescue us from it so that we would live our lives to glorify God. And God has permitted this present age to be under Satan's control. 2 Corinthians 4, 3, 3 and 4 says, But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled by those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age, which is Satan, has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. See, the change we need to make is to live in distinct contrast of this evil age. So what does that mean? There's an obvious outward behaviors that we should refrain from, such as getting drunk, doing drugs, watching movies or TV shows, or listening to music that defiles us with profanity, violence, or sex, adult relationships. But at its core, not conforming to this evil age is a matter of how we think. We cannot allow all of our thoughts to be about things that are seen or temporary. If our thoughts, plans, and ambitions 
are all geared to what we can receive on this life, on this life here, then we are children of this present age. See, Paul is telling us not to be conformed to the kind of godless thinking that characterizes people who have no knowledge of the eternal God. We must live in the light of eternity. The second part of this verse says, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. All obedience and all sin come from our minds. We act the way that we think. If we constantly think that God is with us and, know, and we know that he knows every, every thought, word, and deed, it will make a huge effect on the way we act. Before we were to lie or lose our temper, we should think, God is with me. I can't act this way. Renewing our minds is simply changing the way we think. And how do we do that? By digging into God's word. So the Bible is the primary source of changing the way we think. If you're not filling your mind with the word of God, you cannot change for the better. You have to know God as he has revealed himself through his word. And just reading it is not enough. We need to meditate on it and be able to understand God's word in order to better ourselves. If we just simply read it and never give it any other thought, Satan will try to distort our view of God and of his word. 2 Corinthians 11.14 says that Satan transforms himself into an angel of light. If we don't have a hunger for his word and a thirst for righteousness, then it will be easy for Satan to twist scripture around to make us believe that we are living right. From the very beginning of time, Satan has twisted God's word. He put just enough doubt in Eve's mind, and that cursed mankind for all times. And David, he's described as a man after God's own heart. And even after writing many of the Psalms, Satan tempted him, and he still committed adultery and murder. See, Satan's going to be around till the end of time, and he'll do everything he can to twist God's, around, God's word around and put temptations in our mind in order to prevent us from spending eternity with, with our Heavenly Father. So we have to know the Bible. Not just a few verses that are easily twisted around to make us feel good about ourselves. But even the verses, even the hard verses that call, out, call us out for our sin. Because sin is still sin. It doesn't matter what the rest of the world is doing. If God called it sin, it is still sin. And knowing and understanding God's word changes our way of thinking from temporary worldly pleasures to eternal salvation. And there are secondary sources that we can receive God's word. Scripture tells us that God has given us gifted teachers. There are many books and commentaries that are written by many different people. There are many godly preachers out there sharing the truth of God's word. Of course, we do have to be cautious about false prophets and the Bible tells us that we will know, know them by their fruits. But there are many truly godly people that only want to bring you closer to God. Read their books. Listen to their sermons. There are many historians that give details that aren't mentioned in the Bible. Knowing the geographic of an area and the technology or lack of technology can give us a better understanding of why and what happened in the Bible. So dig down deep and allow God to remove the scales from our eyes and to open up our hearts to receive what God is wanting us to tell us. The third part of this verse is that you may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The will of God refers to, mor the, to the moral will of God as revealed in the Bible. 
It's not talking about issues like whether you should go to college or who you should marry. Even though those are issues that we need to pray about, this is not what Paul's talking about here. Good refers to moral goodness or holiness. It is good for you because where sin has damaged you, holiness restores you and blesses you. Acceptable means acceptable or pleasing to God. Perfect means moral perfection. Of course, we'll never reach perfection, but we should grow in maturity. Many times, obedience to God's morals, moral standards is difficult at the moment. You refuse to cheat or to cut corners, but those who don't, or those who do cheat, they receive promotions. You stick to the Bible's teachings and you're ridiculed by others and considered an outcast. But in the long run, God's will is always more pleasing for you than disobedience is. So how do you prove God's will? So if I was to tell y'all that I could do backflips down this aisle, most of y'all would not believe me. And most of y'all would be right. <laughs> you would challenge me to prove it by showing you. So to prove God's will, so we prove God's will by being the living example day in and day out. The way we talk, the way we act, the things that we accept by turning a blind eye. So that's a hard one right there. If we're not standing up and speaking out against sin, then we're accepting sin. And as we are transformed by the renewing of our mind, we learn how to discern between the will of God and the will of ourselves and the will of the world. See, the problem with all of this is that we hate change, but we love it at the same time. We want things to remain the same, but get better. For things to get better, there has to be change. Sometimes it's uncomfortable, but there's no growth in comfort. We must be willing to give ourselves as living sacrifices to God and renew our minds. We can't submit to the evil present age that we are in. We have to change our way of thinking from temporary to eternal. So you please stand. Now, something that's been on my heart the past few days is that we were created on purpose for a purpose, and that purpose is glorifying God. We can't glorify God if we live for ourselves. God wants every part of us. Now, that's not saying that once you submit to God, you've got to pack your stuff up and move to Africa. What God has for you could be right here where you are. What God has for you could be at your job. But we have to truly submit to God every part of our lives. I know that's scary because, like I said, we go to the negativity all the time, and, and we've got to change the way we think, and we've got to understand that God knows what's best for us. And if God's sending us somewhere, we need to, we need to understand and believe that he's sending us there because he knows what's best for us. So I want to pray today, and I just want you all to really open your hearts and really listen to what God has to speak, is speaking to us today. So we join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we just come to you today and we just ask that you'll just truly speak to us, Father, and that you'll just give us a spirit of submission, that we can submit to your will, and Father, that you'll just guide us. Father, we all pray for a revival, but Father, I'm praying for just hearts to change. Because we know a revival starts within our hearts, and if we're not willing to change our hearts, then we're not willing to have a revival. Father, I just pray that you'll just speak to each and every one of us, open our hearts and our minds. Father, just let your word resonate inside of us. 
Father, we're living in an age that's just evil and just evil just walks around in the world. And Father, it's time that you just give us the spirit of courage just to stand up and speak out against it. And wherever it may be, whether it's at our homes, at work, or just out in, in the world, Father, we just pray that you'll give us the courage just to stand up against sin. Father, we love you and we praise you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.